So you want to read Tolkien? We're happy to have you with us. Join us as we work our way through the Silmarillion. I'm Caitlin. I'm Rachel. And I'm Emily. Let's dig into this week's reading. For Middle-earth. If I tried to pronounce every letter in this name, my tongue would fall out of my mouth. I mean, I am on my second giant glass of Prosecco right now. So... Sally Ho! That's what Into the West means. Let's go home. We're unqualified, but we have ideas. We made it. Episode two, and we're not done yet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Caitlin, you were going to kick us off with a character list of everybody we met this week? Yes. So it is uh, mostly, well, all the people... People, whatever, in this one. Beings? Um, we have met before. So this is chapter one of the Quintus Silmarillion of the beginning of days. And I believe uh, what happens in this chapter is sort of glossed over in the previous two stories that we went over, but now it's in much more detail. So the characters mentioned in this one are Melkor. Uh, my note here was everyone's favorite bad boy. He was. Uh, Tulkis, the Valar of Strength and Ableness, who we talked about last week. We did. Uh, Yavanna, who, in my list that I put in our notes last week and what I could find from her in the book was called the Giver of Fruits, but she's kind of like, I think of her as being the Valar version of Gaia, right? The, mm-hmm. you know, the goddess or whatever of growing things and springtime and that sort of thing. Yeah. And her... She's given an epithet here, which is basically meaning it translates kind of to Earth Queen. Yeah. And Manwe, the Lord of Erin Skies, King of the Valar. Aule, the Master of Crafts and Making Things. Varda, Lady of the Stars. Uh, and then Nessa and Orame are briefly mentioned, but just so much, just like, in relation to Tulkis. Um and then a couple other important things that come up this chapter to remember are the lamps, Iluin and Ormol, and they are the first, uh, ver- uh, the first devices, sure, that illuminate <laughs> mm-hmm. Arda. So there's no, there's no sun, there's no moon. There are stars. Uh, Varda ha- has made stars, but there's no illumination on the planet of Arda. So the Valar create these two lamps to light it and they are always bright they never they do not wax or wane so there's no night there's no day it's just lamps and then after the fall of them which we'll get into uh the two trees of valinor are created and they illuminate valinor and i think you can see a bit of their light from middle earth um but they don't illuminate the whole world like the lamps did and those two trees are Telperion, who gives off a silver light, and Laurelin, who gives off a golden light. And they do wax and wane and created time, basically, in a way. Um, created a day. And then two other important terms that came up in this chapter were the Quendi and the Atani, otherwise known as the children of Iluvatar. The Quendi being the firstborn, the Atani being the followers, otherwise known as elves and humans. Yay! So many names. Chapter one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we left out a bunch of names, too. God. Yes. As we mentioned before, uh, everything has many, many, many different names because Tolkien couldn't do things halfway. Yeah. I've left out 
all of the, like, halls and homes and stuff that the Velar built for themselves, because... And all the geography that was mentioned, because that would have just been yes. too much. Yes. Yeah. These these are your key things. Just, the Valar lived in some places, did some things. Names are irrelevant. They almost are. This was, though, a chapter where I desperately wished I had a map. I can send you a picture of my atlas if you want. I would love that. I uh, ended up Googling a map of basically like a Silmarillion map. Um, mm -hmm. which helped a little bit. But should, are there not maps in the back of your book? Are there? This is actually a good question. I didn't see any when I rolled through. We've got a really, really nice glossary slash appendix thing oh, going yeah. on. There's a, there's a map. Oh, of yeah, the very last page, there's... Valerian-ish oh, Okay, so that's not Valinor. That wouldn't help uh, with no. this chapter. This, I was about to, this one doesn't look super useful. Yeah, no, that's... But if there's Middle one Earth. map, shouldn't there be another one? I have three maps in the back of mine, and they're, yeah, they're all of Middle-earth, so that wouldn't really help in this chapter. Okay. Well, we got some nice, like, family tree stuff going on. Mm -hmm. That was really cool. Mm -hmm. I did, um, it, like, deeply study the pronunciation guide. Listen, I tried to study the pronunciation guide, um, and then I was still pronouncing things wrong in my head, so apparently I'm just not good at it. Yes. For those of you who are interested in such exciting things as pronunciation, I loved that he describes like, you know, sometimes people will use a uh, accent mark to indicate an extended vowel. And sometimes it's just put the emphasis there. These people do this and these do that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Why not? Anyway. So yes, chapter one on the beginning of days or of the beginning of days, whatever, of on. So we've met some people. They're the repeat characters, but this... Oh, God, I have to get my thoughts together. <laughs> so much for It's worth saying that this, this part of the story um, is being told from the point of view of the elves after the fact. So we had our, like, pseudo-Book of Genesis stuff going on last week that we were talking about, and now it feels like for the rest of the Silmarillion, or at least for the rest of the Quenta, um, it's being told by the elves. Did I get that right that's what it felt like to me yes yes let's go with yes <laughs> <laughs> okay something like that um so anyway uh, so this one kind of gets us from the vague time doesn't exist you know in the void and singing place pretty much to giving a little sum up of what happens on arda up until the time when it's ready for uh, the children of Iluvatar to finally show up. So we start off with fighting with Melkor, and um, yep. Emily's friend Tulkus <laughs> is. This is I found this fascinating. He's the one who actually is able to sort of scare off Melkor. Like all the others together are not enough, and they're just fighting and fighting. And I like this description. It's his wrath and his laughter were what drove off Melkor. Like, the laughter is part of it. You've got to be good-natured. Sound is still very, very important yes. um, mm -hmm. to this narrative. But I didn't realize when we were going through, I think, the Valaquenta, um, that Tolkis wasn't... He didn't come down to Arda at the same time as everybody else, right? It sounded like, when you're reading this story, he came down after the fact. Mm -hmm. Did it sound that way to you guys? Yeah, he basically came up later to be badass and... Yeah. Kick Melkor's ass. 
Like, okay, I guess, sure. It did. It, the elves make it sound that way. But again, it may not have been that way if we're seeing from the point of view of the elves versus the point of view of the Valar, right? Mm-hmm. True. Well, and again, time didn't true, exist true. at this point, so who really knows? We'll get into that later, because I have feelings about about that. I will say, at this point, in regards to time, like, they're on physical existence, so there's no night or day, but I would perhaps argue that time does exist at this point, because they're no longer out in uh, wherever they were before. Yes, time exists, and there's just no counting of it. Yeah. That's true. Because um, Iluvatar set them in a specific time. Anyways, we're just recapping right now, so... Yes, we we're just recapping, then we'll get into the talk. So, um, Melkor runs away, and then they decide we need some light, and they make the two awesome lamps that we mentioned earlier by name, uh, Telperion and... No, that's, sorry, Iluen and Ormal. We'll get the mm-hmm. wrong place on the notes. And so, yes, there's one in the north, um, Iluen, and then Ormal is in the south, and they pretty much just light everything evenly. And there's like a center place where everything overlaps. And that's where all of the most awesome stuff is. Because um, <laughs> Yavanna then decides it's time to put some things on this planet. And so um, life grows in the form of lots of, of plant stuff. And then actually some beasts come. At which point I went, wow, she is really powerful. Because she basically makes life able. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we've made yeah. some stuff, and I didn't Melkor, realize that nature didn't exist before this point. Yeah, there was no nature until Yavanna showed up. When they were talking about, was it Aule and Melkor last week who were like building mountains and knocking them down, like mm-hmm. building blocks? Um, I just assumed that there was nature, but there really wasn't. It was just a, it was just lots of piles of rocks. The, I guess. the way that I interpret that, and I could be wrong is that we have gone back to that time. That's what we're talking about now, when they're building things and he's knocking them down. And we're just seeing it as told by the elves and in more detail. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just when we were picturing that last week, I imagined there was, you know, still nature. Oh, okay. I gotcha. I gotcha. Um, So anyway, we have some life, and Melkor is hiding in the void. But after life gets made... um, so we're getting back to a bit of the Catholicism in Genesis. Uh, Tolkis finally decides to sleep after this epic battle that's been been waged. And um, Melkor sneaks back in and creates himself a fancy little uh, stronghold. And basically evil starts creeping out into um, Yavanna's creations. And we make like marshes and fun stuff like that. And so... Basically, Melkor's there and decides to destroy everything again. At which point, we get to the Valar actually, because Melkor's actually raised everything, pretty much. They run away and make Valinor. Yay! <laughs> that point, <laughs> Screw Middle just, Earth! Just to interrupt, he also destroyed the lamps. Oh yes, he destroyed the lamps. Yeah. And lamps they had no a great more. battle, and then as soon as Tolka started to rumble, Melkor... Got the fuck out. Yes, he ran away, but he'd already fucked things up so bad that they, uh, I think they describe it as the Val- uh, the Valar basically have to use all their strength to hold the world together. Like, it's gonna basically and crumble apart. 
Yeah, and the vision of the Valar can never again be what it was or something is the line. Oh, yes, yes. Which We've lost our Eden. The, when the, the way they describe that, because um, they were talking about how everything had symmetry and everything was, I was like, wow, so they were like some Baroque kind of architecture going on when they were building this world, and now that's all over. Um, so anyway, we run away. We make Valinor. We get to kind of part two of, of creation. And this is where um, Yavanna then makes the two trees of Valinor, mm-hmm. um, Telperion and Laurelin. And they each sort of like wax and wane in their lightedness. And they wax and wane for seven hours. But then there's like some overlap between them. So essentially, we end up with 12-hour days. Because um, Telperion waxes and wanes for six hours, and then Lorlin picks up in that overlap time. And um, thus began the days of the bliss of Valinor, and thus began also the count of time. So we have fake days, at least. Um, Different colors of light. Uh, So after we've made these trees, we get a bit of a description of kind of what all of the Valar are doing in Valinor right now. And so we have a description of um, Ale is crafting stuff. <laughs> um, Manwe is, they share, he, he rolls in peace. He's, he's a good guy. They have to specify that. And he has these <laughs> sort of spirit creatures that go out in the form of, of like eagles that are keeping an eye on things. Um, Omo is still hanging out alone in the seas, but... (laughs) So sad. um, It's very sad, but because of the fact that water is everywhere, he's keeping this stuff alive on Middle-earth. So he's super powerful. And Yavanna, it's noted, um, because she loved the stuff that she had created, she does uh, leave Valinor and roam on Middle-earth to try and tend and heal her creations there. And then... um, Orome is the hunter of beasts, and so he also goes out to Middle-earth and tries to hunt down some of Melkor's beasts. So we sort of have a couple pages of your update on how everyone's keeping busy. And then lastly, we get the very interesting (laughs) section where we note that, okay, at this point, the Earth's pretty much ready, or Arda's pretty much ready for um, men and elves to show up. So uh, we have kind of descriptions of um, sorry, humans and elves and how they are kind of related to the original Einar, which we can talk about later in more depth because there are some very interesting descriptions of, you know, the decision to make it so that humankind is mortal, which is always an interesting philosophical debate. And that's where we get. So at that point, basically, it ends with, we're ready for existence. I will say, I did really like how the Valar chose to leave Middle-earth because they knew that if any other fighting with Melkor happened, like, they didn't know where elves were first going to appear, or Mm. if it would hurt them, or, like, or anything like that. So they were like, well, we'll just leave Middle-earth alone, and (laughs) we'll wait for the elves (laughs) over here in our land of eternal bliss. Sounds great. So it wasn't quite like they abandoned Middle-earth, but it was a little bit like they abandoned Middle-earth. It was a strategic retreat. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, ju- I wanted to put that out. They weren't just like, well, see you, Middle-earth. <laughs>
Bye. <laughs> Peace out. So, discussion. What did everybody think of this chapter? I did not like this chapter as much as I loved last week, um, because it fell back on a lot of listing of names, names and names and names, mm-hmm. who are in this way related to more names and names and names. Um, so I felt like we missed a lot of the story narrative that we had before, which I know the Silmarillion is all about world building and all about, you know, the naming uh, mm-hmm. that he got to do. But I enjoyed really the opening page where we're talking about how Tulkas came down and ended up joining the Valinar, because the way they talk about this, I mean, basically it's a planet. I know it's flat at this point, but it's still basically a planet as yep. the little kingdom. I think that's just hilarious. <laughs> yeah. I found it really interesting because it was a very just sort of succinct going through of all of this huge, crazy stuff happening. Um, you know, this, it, we don't have a way to count time, but this, of course, it, it reads almost like it happened in a day, except it, of course, very much did not. <laughs> and so you just sort of get to quickly go through, like, we made these really cool lamps, and then Melkor tore them down. We made these really cool trees. Yeah. I was going to say, <laughs> and then Melkor tore them down. But I guess that Melkor hasn't happened yet. Yeah. <laughs> it has not. <laughs> We're going to get there. We have yeah. to make a lot of stuff for Melkor to destroy. I, I really liked this bit near the beginning when they were describing sort of, I guess, the first fighting with Melkor. Uh, and he and it says and seeing now his time he drew near again to arda and looked down upon it and the beauty of the earth in its spring filled him the more with hate and it just made me think of him like the grinch looking over whoville and just becoming more and more filled with hate and just that (laughs) someone really needs to teach him the true meaning of christmas and then maybe they can all be friends (laughs) but 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 will melkor's heart grow three sizes that day (laughs) He's already pretty big. I don't know. <laughs> it's a big heart. But yeah, I was thinking of, of Emily and her love of Melkor. Like, yeah, all right. He's just sort of brooding there, hating everything and wanting to subjugate it. Yeah, he really has no purpose except to be evil. All of the mm-hmm. characterization you had when it was being told from the Anur's point of view is just gone. Yeah. Um, I assume that's because of things he does to the elves later that are coloring this point of view, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. I do also like that he builds himself his, like, underground black stronghold, Atumno, Atumno, Mm -hmm. whatever, and then, like, blackness just leeches out of it. He just sits there brooding, and his brooding spreads. Yeah. Well, and that's the, it's such a wonderful description if you don't think about the potential, you know, implications of it where you described that melkor was quote grown dark as the night of the void and i i well who knows with you know the tendency to describe evil things as dark from a a racism perspective i do also like to imagine just exactly he's just shedding darkness from the void all over the place and shadows overtaking it right like a shadow creature yeah Mm -hmm. that would be really cool it's it's pretty badass, I'm not going to lie. Important to note, I suppose, um, that they do talk about him uh, convincing other Maiar and stuff to come to his side. Mm-hmm. But there's no talk of any actual, like, nothing has ever been killed yet. Other than, like, trees. That's true. So far, it's just been rocks. Poor trees. Lots of making Yavanna unhappy, but other than that, yeah, they're just sort of 
having intense family squabbles. And then, um, and then the trees. The trees are super important. Have you guys, previous to this, heard of the trees? No. Something sounded familiar about them, but I could not recall any specific details about the trees. Okay. That's true. The The leaves sounded familiar, where they were green on one side and silver on the other. But other than that, I was like, I don't remember where I've heard this. So it was probably just something on Tumblr. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. I do believe that there is literally like a family line of trees. Please contemplate that sentence. That you can Probably. trace down to the white tree of Gondor from these trees. Awesome. Oh. Like, I think some saplings or some cuttings are saved. And then I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. And also, I'm quite possibly incorrect because it's been a while since I thought about this. But I believe, like, a sapling is made and then another sapling and a sapling and a sapling, blah, 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 blah. And, like, thousands and thousands of years later, we get the white tree of Gondor. That is the fascinating thing about reading this is that because it is world building and not really a story, you can't follow some of the same cues that you would in a book like, oh, this thing has a really specific name. I bet it's going to matter later because he gives everything a really specific name and some of it will matter later and some of it won't. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Like, yeah, didn't we get five names for some of the houses that the Valar built for themselves? Guess what doesn't matter at all. Yeah. See, and and they have. Let's see. Their their holy mountain is Teniquitil. That that's the elves' name, and Oyolose, everlasting whiteness, and Elarina, crowned with stars, and many names beside. But the Sindar spoke of it in their later tongue as Amon Oyolos. Whew. <laughs> Just a couple. I was also curious about. Okay, so we've we've we're creating Valinor here, and. Described right, Valinor became more beautiful even than Middle Earth in the spring of Arda, and it was blessed for the deathless dwelt there. And I, I like that description is very curious because at this point, it's just the Valar and the Maiar. So anywhere they lived were where the deathless dwelled. And did they even have a concept of death yet? Like, well, they had a concept of ending and destruction because he did destroy like trees and that sort of thing. And it is possible that they would have seen the plant life die, like, naturally. Has he destroyed the trees already? I meant regular trees, sorry. Okay. Yes, he just sort of, when when he's in his uh, stronghold at Utomno, the the darkness leeches out and causes sickness in the plants and the animals. Oh, yeah, and they would see animals die. I wonder if that means there's no animals in Valinor weird curious i guess hmm. not never really thought about that before yeah <laughs> hmm. and just and we do when did they call it that the land of the deathless like what part in the chapter because i remember reading that also um it was just after so we have the description of no hang on i had to go back another page so yeah you you get to the end of you know melkor escapes and goes to a tumno and it's just at the beginning of them describing life in Valinor. So we end the spring of Arda and then they start describing. And so okay, um, we have a brief description of Manwe and then you get down there. It's yeah. Okay. Behind the walls of the Pylori is the beginning of the uh, paragraph. I was just wondering because if it was after they started talking about humans and stuff, because as no. far as I'm aware, there are only 
two individuals who are not Valar or elves or Maiar who ever go to Valinor, and that's Bilbo and Frodo. Yep. As You're far as me I know. Sad now. Sorry. <laughs> Getting ahead of ourselves. Way ahead of ourselves. Yep. That's that's going to be like the very end of our uh, our entire podcast. Yep. Years from now, we're going to be discussing. Yeah, call back <laughs> to episode Valinor. two. <laughs> I do like how the chapter sort of ends um, with, the, well, almost sort of ends with, but Melkor has cast his shadow upon it, being Middle-earth, and confounded it with darkness and brought forth evil out of good and fear out of hope. I really like that line. Mm-hmm. He does have some of the best descriptions. Yeah, it's good stuff. All right. Well, I guess, I mean, we sort of, we, we've talked a lot about the different Valar in our last episode, and so they, we just sort of get to see them in action a bit more here but we do get to the very interesting end of the section talking about the children of Iluvatar. oh should also mention um sorry going back slightly in the description of of Ale doing things um at the very end we get the preview of of um the creation of the Silmarils and oh, I went okay yeah. when they're sort of talking about the different types of elves and who they like mm-hmm. with the Valar um, the, it does say that the Noldor also it was who whoa I can't read the Noldor also it was who first achieved the making of gems and the fairest of all gems were the Silmarils and they are lost dun dun and, dun and suddenly we have our yeah, story ominous yeah so anyway that was the preview but yeah so Talking we get to so describe weird. <laughs> like that is the very end of the book there just summed up in one sentence there we go what did you guys think about, I'm looking, well, in my book, it's the page before, where he's talking about um, the gifts he's going to give to men, and he says, um, where is it? Oh, but to the anti, I will give a new gift. Therefore, he willed that the hearts of men should seek beyond the world and should find no rest therein, but they should have a virtue to shape their yes. life amid the powers and chances of the world, beyond the music of the Anur which is as fate to all things else. And of their operation, everything should be, in form and deed, completed, and the world fulfilled unto the last and smallest. And then, in the next pa- paragraph, he, Iluvatar literally goes, but everything they do is basically to make me look good. <laughs> like, I'm not kidding. He goes, they have independence to make their own decisions, and I know they won't use these gifts in harmony, but in the end... They're going to make me look good or else. <laughs> it's very Iluvatar. It was. I was like, you just did this to your boy Melkor. It made me so sad. I'm just reading that bit. Sorry. One sec. Yeah, no, that's fine. <laughs> yes. I did love that first line of that seek beyond the world and should find no rest therein. Because as a person who has always had insufferable wanderlust, it's very much like, you know, humankind has these these yearnings and stuff and and it it gives them a a special power even as it also you know kills them i thought the language was beautiful but that the sentiment was kind of awful right so he's deliberately creating men to be unsatisfied and to be in conflict with one another um something that he had deliberately avoided with the rest of his children until he couldn't anymore I, I think know. we touch on the Catholicism there again. I like that. I like the the passing description of how it 
you know, we're hearing this, reading it as humans and, and thinking about it. And then you have, for it seems to the elves that men resemble Melkor most of all the Einar. <laughs> <laughs> I really Ugh, do like humans. but they should have a virtue to shape their life amid the powers and chances of the world I like that it sounds like he's giving humans more free will than he gave to the Valar or the elves mm -hmm. to just do as they will pro probably because they're not on the earth for as long like maybe he's like everybody else I have a plan for but you guys I don't have an overarching plan for Mm -hmm. But then also it said that they will, that the men will join, where is it? Uh, yet of old the Valar declared to the elves in Valinor that men shall join in the second music of the Aenor, whereas Iluvatar has not revealed what he proposes for the elves after the world's end, and Melkor has not discovered it. So while, when the world ends, the humans will join in the music that is foretold for the ending of the music uh, for the ending of the world uh, but who knows what's going to happen to the elves mm -hmm. yeah and i don't know how much I of that is know. just they're eternal anyway so i'm not going to tell them what's going to happen but yes i like that it's they're going to have this short time but ultimately they will be rewarded in the end which again catholicism but it is very interesting how iluvatar just sort of sticks the elves there to be eternal and, and stayed and actually gives and all of the changeability to humans. Um, and, and noting that, that actually like the elves will come to be very jealous of the, some of that. So I think it was what, what here's the quote, death is their fate, the gift of Iluvatar, which as time wears, even the powers shall envy, you know, the, the depressing side of living forever. And I think that, comes up a lot throughout the book that the elves are kind of jealous of men, of humans, uh, mm -hmm. getting to die and move on. I think there was a line in here, of course I didn't mark it, that even mentioned that when the elves do die, uh, if they were to die, they just go and hang out in a hall and they can come back. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and, and dying, they are gathered to the halls of Mandos and Valinor, whence they may in time return. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm looking right at it, actually. Great. So even in yep. death, they don't really get to rest. They just go live somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds really depressing. What made me depressed, above all, in this chapter was the idea that um, it says there are two ways they could die, but I think there are, may actually be three ways, right? Because they can only die um, if they're slain or if they waste away in grief. But then there's this line about unless they also like grow weary of 10,000 centuries, so if they were to actually live that long, then yeah, they could just die of exhaustion. I think the way that it's described is the waste away in grief and that weary of time is kind of the same type of death. They just sort of slowly fade away. Yeah, that, that was sort of my understanding. So maybe like it has two different causes, but the actual physicalness of it is pretty much the same. Mm -hmm. Right. And even, I mean, it would be grief at a long life if one is weary of of 10,000 centuries. You know, it may not be grief over a specific individual or, or circumstance, but that long-lasting lament. I agree with that sentiment, but punctuation-wise, I don't think that's what it's saying here. Right. I'm excited for people to start dying. <laughs> <laughs> Things get more we'll exciting then. We'll have a bit more then. to talk about. Yeah. 
Well, there'll be a little more story then, ideally. Yeah. Not just characters, names, more names. Mm -hmm. Ooh, more names. This dude laughed. Things happened. I did want to go back. um, So at the beginning of talking about elves and humans, we have sort of the description of how they actually are designed. And here's the, I want to figure out how long of the quote I need to read. For elves and men are the children of Iluvatar, and since they understood not fully that theme by which the children entered into the music, none of the Ainur dared to add anything to their fashion. Here's the part I wanted to point to. For which reason the Valar are to these kindreds rather than their elders, and their chieftains rather than their masters. And that, so we, we sort of described the Valar as almost like gods in a way, but it's almost because these these children also come directly from Iluvatar. They're almost like the super more powerful elder siblings to elves and men. Yeah, because the the Velar didn't have any part of the creation of men mm-hmm. um, or elves or humans or elves. Jeez. Mm-hmm. So they all actually were created equally, I guess, by Iluvatar. Right. Just given different uh, abilities. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, I like that kind of imagining of like, these are just your very fancy guides through life. Yeah. Your, your buddies. And something I've also never really thought of is that the, like, as much as the Valar are very powerful and immortal, like, I don't think they can be killed uh, at all where the elves can be. And all those things, they, they can't have children. Like, they, well, they never do, where the elves and the humans can. So I'm sure that there are other things also that elves and humans can do that the Valar can't. Yes. Hmm. And we never really go into the personalities or whatever that drive the Valar, but it is quite possible that there are things like children and death and family, maybe, that the Valar are jealous of. Envious? Yes, and and we just touched on that a bit with the elves, and it's described that um, the elves are made more like in nature to the Einar. So I think think there's probably some similarity there that the uh, the ease of life of humans and then the the, the opportunities, right, to have have children and and be so changeable. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's other things that I'm just not thinking of. Mm-hmm. Say, I mean, eating? <laughs> I don't... So what you think, like, the, your base human things, right? Eat, eat, drink, fuck. Maybe the, the Valar can't get drunk. <laughs> Maybe the Valar can't get drunk, exactly. That would be such a shame. It'd be so sad. Although, I don't know if Tolkien would do that. Tolkien enjoyed beer. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> you know, I bet, I bet Yavanna would make some really good beer if she... Puts her powers toward growing hops. Interesting. I wonder if it's... Because, like, beer is a thing that comes up later. Ale comes up later. I wonder who, like, yep. invented it. Who's the Valar so how of ale? Hobbits like to drink. Yeah. Hobbit. Humans like to drink. Dwarves like to drink. Or humans like to drink. Um, we get such... I, I, I'm just thinking of Hobbit descriptions of, like, vintages and stuff. Yeah. And they're the most plant-loving people. But yeah, that's we're going to now have the the drinking history of Middle-earth as a side tangent on this podcast and 
Yeah, we should look out for it. Mm-hmm. Any mention of alcohol? We'll track it through. Flag it in our text. I can't remember the first mention of alcohol in these books. I guess I wasn't looking for it last time. Yeah, we will be this time. <laughs> well, so far they're not drinking. They're just making things and fighting with Melkor. Ah, the good old days. Yep. Although they do have a feast. They do have it a feast. It is mentioned that they feast. You're correct. There must have been some ale at that feast. Mm-hmm. And some, and the feast is on Valinor, so they must have gotten the food from somewhere. So maybe there are animals on Valinor. Unless they're all vegetarian. <laughs> Which, maybe they had Maybe they had the food imported. They were pretty extra. That's true. That's true. Although, they're all supposed to be staying out of Middle-earth at the time. It's just Yavanna who sneaks back, and um, Orome. I am intrigued at the finer points of how they possibly eat. Do they need to eat? Presumably not. Do they get hungry? I don't think they need to eat, but it seems like they like to, even though it appears to distract them from important things like their heinous brother coming down and destroying the world. Mm-hmm. Well, here's an interesting question. I w- you would assume that the Valar don't need to, but then, you know, are the Meyer are slightly lesser. Where do they fall on a need for consumption point? Although all of these creatures existed before creation, so you'd hope that they don't need food. I don't know about the Meyer, because once they take physical form, like, some of them don't, definitely, because... Like, Balrogs just live under Earth for hundreds of thousands of years. So they must not be eating unless they eat dirt, right? As we all desire to. <laughs> live underground for thousands of years, not eat dirt. But, I don't know, like, we meet a Meyer later who's a giant dog. That one probably eats. Awesome. I don't know. I'm intrigued by this. We should call up Christopher Tolkien and be like, do they need to eat? And what do they eat? Please tell us. How could you put so much effort into all these names (laughs) and not into what they're eating? Like, this is a strange, like, there's so much detail in one section and then zero detail in this other section. And I'm upset. Yes. Also, yes. I was going to say, I have have (laughs) nothing to say to that except for you're right. Mm Mm-hmm. And it does seem a little out of character, but maybe he just wasn't as interested in food as he was in names or armor that it turns out characters don't need yet. I mean, I think it's fair to say that Tolkien was more interested in names than anything else in the world. (laughs) Possibly including his wife and children. In the world, in Middle-earth, in Valinor, in Arda, in Ea, in... (laughs) In the Void, in... Yep. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. How do you guys interpret the difference between Ea and Arda? Arda, I assumed, was a continent slash country on Ea, which was the extent of this flat planet. Okay. Did you guys I think started, the same thing or no? I sort of take it one more out, that Ea is all of physical creation and Arda is the planet. See, I and would agree the- with that, except there are stars yeah, so the stars are a part of Ea. There are no other planets in this galaxy, because Varda made the stars. I just avoided thinking about it, because I didn't want to decide they were different things. 
Uh, that's something I don't understand, because if Varda made the stars, then how is it possible for Iluvatar to set um, a uh, in this particular time and place in the void? Because when we were reading that section a chapter ago, it sounded like stars already existed. From what I understand, she definitely makes the stars, though. It's said in this chapter. Maybe she adds stars. Um or constellations, but, or I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I will know. say this map that I'm looking at kind of helps uh, in my Atlas of Middle Earth book. So there's the void, which is outside, and then there's Achaea, which was briefly mentioned in this chapter, which is the encircling sea, and that's not like an ocean on the planet. That is an ocean. It's not water, but it's an encircling sea outside of the planet. It's like encircling the creation, but because the planet is flat. You can walk to the edge and you can see it. <laughs> okay. And I believe that that is where the stars are at at the moment. And then, I don't know. Good try, then, though. Like, <laughs> Amon, or Valinor, is one continent, and Middle-earth is a continent, and then there's other lands that don't ever come up to the south. Yes, I'm looking at various maps now, and that is, who knows? I don't even know if what I just said makes sense, like, together, the way that I interpret it, plus the things that I just described. I don't know. Yeah. I think it makes sense, but now I'm also a little lost, so. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like I said, she go for, Alufatar made some places, and some beings may or may not live on them. May or may not. Sounds about right. I mean, can you can you really exist if you don't have the ability to eat and drink? God. Who invents chocolate? Like, oh. who is the Valar of chocolate? That's what I want to know. It's got to be Ivana, right? Probably. Maybe, like, her her and Aule working in tandem. Like, she grows the beans and he crafts them into chocolate. I like it. Then they're my favorites. There we go. <laughs> They, they would also definitely make beer. Yeah, so that they could have them together, because the chocolate would need a nice chocolate drink. beer. Yeah. All right. We've gotten off topic. I think that that's <laughs> that for this chapter. Yeah, yes. it wasn't very long. No. So next we were going to read two chapters, because chapter two is only like two pages. But I am excited yeah. to talk about it, because as we're getting into, you know, Yavana and Ale working together. Yeah going to be some fun stuff happening. Aule kind of throws a wrench into Iluvatar's plans coming up. Spoilers. It'll be good. Dun, dun, dun. And so next so, is of Aule and Yavanna and then the coming of the elves. And yes. the captivity of Melkor. Sounds like we've got a lot of drama in our future. Yeah, so, mm-hmm. that's how to, so just to sum that up, chapter two of Aule and Yavanna and chapter three of The Coming of the Elves and the Captivity of Melkor. That is what we are reading for our next episode. We're going to have some different people to talk about. Yay, elves! Yay, elves. They are my favorite because they're so messed up. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Okay. Well, thank you for being here. Uh, yeah, and if you liked our discussion and wanted to add anything, you can email us at youwanttoreadtolkien at gmail.com or tweet us at to read Tolkien. And if you're listening to us on any sort of 
iTunes type thing, we would not say no to rating, reviewing, subscribing, telling your friends, etc. All right. So thank you for tuning in and we will see you all next week. I've been Caitlin. I've been Rachel. And I'm Emmy. Bye. Bye. I was at a bookstore the other day and I saw your guys' copy of The Silmarillion and I almost bought myself a fourth fucking copy of this book (laughs) just so we would have the same edition.